you know, that is a good example of, you know, how to motivate people, give them a framework, give them a salary and, you know, let them do their thing. Obviously, people need mentorship and, and help along the way, but that was a um, particularly good lesson for me in terms of what great bosses do. Welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast with business strategist, speaker and author Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Hi, welcome to episode 28. Business Mastermind Podcast, Gavin here. This week, we are sitting down in a super cool podcasting studio in Soho with Dan and Murray Serta. Now, Dan um, had has had real fantastic entrepreneurial journey. The growth, the fundraising that sits around uh, Grabble, um, the business that he was behind, the fashion-based app, social fashion app that he was behind. We talk about the fundraising, the rise and the subsequent demise of that business. And then we go on to lessons learned and then start to unpick his new startup, trydawn.co, which will soon be rebranded in September as your height. This is all about nutrients for the mind, both sort of uh, information, but specifically about food and supplements for the brain. Uh, Amazing insights and thoroughly enjoyed it. We had a great blast in a super cool studio and I will just jump straight into episode with Dan Murray Serta. Oh, and another little appearance from Little Gavilar. So welcome to another episode of the Business Mastermind podcast. Uh, Today I've got great pleasure of sitting down actually in Soho in a super funky uh, professionally uh, built podcasting studio with Dan Murray Serta. Dan, hello, welcome. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So, um, Dan, describe the person, the serial entrepreneur on a journey of discovery, cat lover, podcaster. Describe describe who you are and uh, and your journey. I think um, the best way to describe myself um, is a cat lover. Yep. An animal lover. An animal lover, yeah. Um, so I was going to say, you know, cat lover, absolutely. But at the same time, I, I walk to work... Um, I walk as much as I possibly can, and um, I, I walked past a dog this morning, and I stopped these people right in their tracks, and I was like, oh no, and it's just like playing with it and stuff. So, animal lover, full stop. I've got this um, insatiable um, desire to be around animals as much as humanly possible. I love it. Um, so that would be my first description. Um, second would be... Um, I think, yeah, entrepreneur is fair. I've got an entrepreneurial mindset. Um, I enjoy building things, and I definitely enjoy pushing myself, you know, realistically beyond, uh, and often beyond breaking point. But, you know, I was having a conversation with someone yesterday how, um, you know, some of my friends I grew up with, their ambition genuinely, not in a mean way, their ambition was to um, get married, have kids, and be family men. Um, you know, I find that I'm genuinely envious of that because um, they they did all those things, yeah. and they are and they and then they're content. It's not like they did all those things and they wanted something else. I think it's one of those unique circumstances being a family man, where if you fulfil that ambition, you don't suddenly want the next thing. It's right. actually incredibly fulfilling. Well, imp- implicit with the role of the journey of the entrepreneur is you're always looking for that next thing. That's absolutely the problem. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I spend a lot of time trying to make sure that I 
um, you know, I'm present and I appreciate what I have and I'm very, very conscious of spending time on gratitude and spending time on self-awareness and being mindful and present. At the same time, I just have this bug, this gene, um, and it doesn't go away with all of the all of the hardest work in the world. I always want to try and create and deliver more and um I I can't really um I can't really describe it any other way. It's just it's a burning passion always to be um building or creating. And what is it you're searching for? Um I think that's a great question. Um and that's the thing. Like, I don't think I'm searching for an end result. I think it is just the ability to be creative every day and put something new into the world is the is the thing that fulfills me on a daily basis. And so the good news about that is there isn't really an end in sight there. As long as I'm constantly doing it, I'll be happy. And I think a lot of the stuff, I'm sure a lot of the stuff has to do with age. I'm sure in my 40s, I'll learn to settle down a bit more. I'm sure in my 50s, I'll, you know, in, like find new endeavors that I enjoy. Like, I'm sure of those things, fortunately. And so it might, I, you know, I sometimes do consider that it might very well much just be my age. And, you know, in your 20s and 30s, you're meant to be doing that. I spent my 20s, like, learning deeply and I feel like my 30s are for building creatively. And so, you know, that's another way of framing it is uh, quite potentially I'm just going on the same path that everyone goes on. Great. So share about your journey then through that deep learning in your 20s and your entrepreneurial journey as part of that. So um, I'm very lucky because I graduated in the recession. Um, so I uh, had always been told how important it is to learn um to study hard, to get good results at school, get go to a good uni, get great results at uni, work hard, work hard, work hard, so you can apply for jobs, so that you can get those jobs, so you can be independent. And um, when you graduate in the recession, you learn that that was all bollocks, sadly. Um, <laughs> so I worked really hard. I'm not naturally... Um, I'm not naturally... At, well, I was going to say I'm not naturally intelligent. I'm definitely not naturally academic. I struggle with academia. Um, and I definitely have an undiagnosed version of ADHD, which I think is just called being human. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Americans would call what I have ADHD. I just have to work hard on concentrating. So yes. I find academia super hard. I find anything that I'm not really deeply passionate about super hard to apply myself to. But um, I enjoy trying to understand um, willpower. And I understand trying to improve. Um, so the reason why that's relevant is so I got three A's at A level. I got, you know, I went to the university I wanted to get to. I got two one, like all the things that I wanted to do. And it wasn't that easy for me to do that. That was hard. Um, but I did them. And then when I graduated, I had to go work in a pub um, because there were no jobs. So that was kind of an interesting start to my 20s on the basis of everything that I understood to be the system was not the system at all. Um, and I ended up getting my first job in advertising, uh, by basically being so crap at bartending, um, but so good at talking, Great. um, that well, you were recruited from the other side of the bar. Yeah, basically. Wow. Yeah, I was. So I was recruited by someone because uh, he just thought I'd be great at sales. Um, yeah. and I think the people that were employing me in the bar were fucking delighted because <laughs> I was just useless, um, at doing my job. 
Um, but everyone liked me, so they were kind of like, you know, it was okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as in the punters liked me, my colleagues didn't. Yeah. Um, which is completely understandable. Um, so I went to work for him. Um, I worked there for a couple of years. I actually, um, I find it very, it was very formative. Um, had some horrific experiences. Um, he was an incredibly toxic boss. Um, the worst I've ever had. Mm. And it's interesting because you don't have a lot of experience to compare to at the time. So, um, he was basically a bully. Um, I ended up having to get a restraining order on him. I mean, it went pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, and I ended up getting headhunted from his company. Fortunately, I was on a sales call um, and the person on the other end of the phone that I was selling to was like, oh, I don't want your product, but I do want you. So would you come in for an interview? And I was like, thank God, yeah. save me. Um, so I ended up um, going to work at another company, the one that headhunted me, and I had a great experience there. I had a really great boss. I understood what it was like to be a boss, to help mentor someone, to give them um, the creative freedom um, that I wanted um, and and basically thrived with. Um, that must have been a moment of absolute belief because of disillusionment after coming out of university and ending up working yeah. in a bar with a role that you say you didn't really enjoy, you weren't good at, to then get a, a proper job in inverted commas but then find out that you were with a toxic boss who bullied you. Yeah, so the, the toxic boss that bullied me, so the thing is, I will say, is he was a, um, a like an absolute... I mean, classic profile of genuinely a psychopath. Right. Um, he would spend 90% of his time building up your confidence to then spend 10% like ripping it down really intensely. Um, and he was a very gruff man in his late 40s with a skinhead, lots of rough mates, and would always basically reference them and the rough things that they were doing you know, on the estate, even though it's not where he lived anymore. He lived in Hampstead. Um, but it was very much like intimidation tactics all the time for no apparent reason. You're like, well, I don't really understand what the purpose of those threats is. But anyway, um, it was very, very odd. And this was inside a wider company where that behavior was basically tolerated, which is right. even more strange. Um, he, um, he was an unbelievably charming as a lot of psychopaths are, unbelievably charming man and incredible at sales. So he would teach me about how to psychologically get someone to yes um, and, you know, how to be charming and how to encourage people to want the product that you're selling and to believe in you. And those were really important lessons and I, th I found that stuff really valuable. Of course, the other side of it is, you know, a lot of sales is manipulation um, and... And it shouldn't be. As and, in, and with you, I'm sure that the intention is is more important to you than the you know the manipulation or the technique. Well, yeah, it was interesting. Like we, um, he was always selling things that we didn't have, um, and then being like, "Well, we'll figure it out afterwards." And, and to be honest with you, like some of that is interesting. It was my first taste of entrepreneurship. That behaviour. Um, that's a, that is a lot of what entrepreneurship is. You raise money for things you don't yet have. You're going to build it. You know, it's like there's interesting insight there. Um, but I very i'm very very honest person and so the idea of selling something that we didn't currently have and getting people to pay for it in advance which is not quite the same as investment mm. um made me super uncomfortable and that basically the reason we fell out was anytime i would challenge that um he would go mad at me 
Um, okay. And would act like I was about to whistleblow on him. And I was like, I'm not going to tell people what you're doing. I'm just telling you that it's not right in confidence here, which I feel like I should be able to do. Um, and basically being um, a moral and just um, champion of what's right or wrong to this person repeatedly was not a good move. So you moved on from that controlling environment to one in which you thrived? Yeah, to one with creative freedom um, where people supported me. And I did my best work there. So I brought in some, this was a creative advertising agency, and I brought in some really awesome clients. I brought in Intel, Spotify, and Amazon. Um, And that was all from cold. They'd never heard of the agency before, and I brought them all in. And so people were very um, enthused. And that's basically what should happen, realistically. You know, if you give someone who's got... Um, energy, ideas, and desire, some creative freedom. Um, you know, that is a good example of, you know, how to motivate people, give them a framework, give them a salary, and, you know, let them do their thing. Obviously, people need mentorship and, and help along the way, but that was a um, particularly good lesson for me in terms of what great bosses do. Absolutely. Um, so, and a welcome contrast. And a welcome contrast, exactly. Yeah. So um, I worked there for um, about three and a half years. Yeah, about three and a half years. And then I had the 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 bot the, the there was managing partners. The managing partner that um, had um, essentially uh, recruited me in the first place over the phone the first time. He essentially said that he wanted to leave the company and start a new one with me because he had this really great opportunity, which he did. It was really interesting. Um, He'd negotiated a contract with all these different halls of residences. So this was in student marketing this time. Um, And he'd negotiated contracts with the the internet service provider to halls of residences. So he basically had, I guess, you know, a captive audience of about a million students across the UK um, who would sign in to the internet via their like home portal. I mean, this is like, you know, just after Facebook's launched. I mean, it's pretty right. uh, pretty early. Yeah. This is like a good 10 years ago yeah. uh, or maybe like eight, nine years ago. Um, and so um, his thing was, you know, we can create a portal. It's the first thing that every student sees. And, you know, we can put whatever we want there, right? We can create a whole product around that. So I did think that was super interesting. Um, and I was very... Um, engaged in in starting something new with him that felt entrepreneurial. It felt like a safety blanket on the basis of um, I wasn't having to come up with the idea myself. Someone else had and wanted me. And that was awesome. So I was very chuffed. Um, so we left together and started that. Um, but it very quickly transcribed that it wasn't um, it wasn't an equal relationship. Um, we're still really good friends and I gave him all this feedback at the time and, and still do. Um, but he, he, he was 10 years older than me, maybe 15 years older than me. Um, you know, he was just at a different stage of his life and he wanted to work less hard and I was really energetic and passionate and it was very, just very clear. It wasn't a 50, 50 relationship in terms of effort. And I was like, you know, you super quickly realized that wasn't going to work. Um, and I think where I've been really good in my career so far is to call it quits at the right time. I mean, you never know if it's the right time, but a hunch. So with that one, I about four months in had the conversation with him. I was like, this was not a good move. We shouldn't have done this. And I think I want to go back to your company. Um, 
And, you know, I don't, he wasn't like, he wasn't bitter. I think he was a bit shocked um, that I'd had so quickly. Yeah, that I'd sussed it out, essentially. Um, And I'm glad I did because I really have a lot of respect for him and we're still good friends. Um, We speak. You know, and I think that if, if, I think if we'd have carried on working, it would have been bitterness, and I would have resented that whole thing. Um, so I basically went back to the original company um, and started to think. You know, I had a, like my first taste of entrepreneurship at that point. So at this point, I was twenty-four, um, and I did think it was interesting. Um, I was kind of interested by the student market. Um, I found that student market was um, something I could easily get my head around. There's a certain amount of them a year. They go in and out of halls at certain times of the year. The planning seasons are very specific. What they buy is very specific. The price points are very specific. Super easy audience to get your head around um, with a lot of um, future potential. I mean, they're like target customers for most brands because their university-educated purchasing customers of the future still in a price bracket that's super cheap. So, you know, get their loyalty early and you've got a customer for life. So in every kind of which way, I thought they were brilliant. So um, I did this random thing where I um, I basically realized that students like drinking games. I know, shock horror. Um, <laughs> it's a, a deep insight. Um, so students like drinking games and uh, there's weather spoons all over the country and, you know, I had this thing, QR codes had just come out. Okay. So I had this idea that if we could put QR codes on the back of playing cards and distribute the playing cards for free in weather spoons all over the country, then you could have students come in every week with their mates, pick up a free pack of cards and basically play um, drinking games and on the back of the cards would be QR codes and if you scanned it then week one might be a Jack and Coke for a pound week two could be a Bacardi and Coke for a pound you know they could change the offer every week so like, that'd be really quite that. cool um, a win for Weatherspoons and a win for you so how would you monetize that a commission off the back of those sales um, yeah so exactly exactly that um, now the problem was uh, QR codes were too early Yeah, people didn't really use them the big winners were students and um, and Weatherspoons loved it as well. So what we did was, um, sadly, I don't know if you're familiar with the term MVP, but it basically means uh, minimum, minimum viable product. Minimum yeah. viable product. So yeah. I think I mistook what the M stands for, and I thought it might be a million. <laughs> so I made a million packs of cards um, as my MVP, and I distributed them throughout Weatherspoons. Um just so you know what that looks like, that's 54 million individual pieces of cards. So that is seven lorries worth. And basically, wow. I forgot um, to sort out the distribution. Right. So and one the cost day, of that. yeah. So one day in London Bridge, they just turned up um, in Byron Market in my office where I was working at my advertising company. They were very patient and very nice about it. Unfortunately, we did have a big storage area and they were able to look after a lot of them. Um, but it was a nightmare and any money that I'd made on that very clearly quickly diminished instantly so I sort of took a learning from that which is that um, I'm an idiot and I would need a business partner either a creative genius that needs a business partner that could do the business side of things good ideas bad at execution was uh, another way of um, of putting it and so um, my uh, best friend from school 
Joel was at PwC and he was very entrepreneurial. He was leading this entrepreneurial society at PwC. He was kind of a thorn in PwC's side because he was just always like rattling on about like the different work they should be doing with entrepreneurs. And it would not be a good fit in that environment. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It wasn't. Um, so we got talking and we were like, what are big opportunities at the moment? And we're, interestingly, one of them looked to be um, the Daily Deal world yes so groupon was growing groupon, incredibly yeah. fast and we're like well any old idiot could do this and i was like look i've got a big student database because of the work i've been doing um we could easily do like a you know a daily deal site for students um position it to that market and we've got a launch platform for free so why not do that so we did we set that whole thing up within three months from idea to execution because we had the new september year coming up so we knew when we had to launch it we got a launch partner with hungry house the delivery takeaway people okay the offer that we got with them was you get a free five pound takeaway every single time someone um every time someone signs up to our website they got a free five pound takeaway from hungry house and we got paid one pound fifty every time someone redeems it great it was amazing anyway day one of this it went completely viral um and this was uk wide uk wide uh focused on students and how did you get it out there well we already had a small oh, database. Yeah, yeah, we had a small database, maybe ten thousand people. Right. But it basically it went viral. It was our first taste of I remember we we're sitting in PwC's office at the time, like, you know, looking at this, being like every time we refreshed it was like another five thousand people had redeemed it. And oh my goodness. It was honestly printing cash. It was so yeah. absurd. We had the CMO of um of Hungry House call us up begging us to stop because basically it went viral and then it got on UK hot deals. Which right. then made it even more viral. And they're, so, they're, they're presumably, were they making enough money off it? No, I doubt it. Yeah. It was, it was, I think, a test for them. They weren't expecting to do so well. Right. And neither were we, by the way. So we launched this company and it went phenomenally well on day one. The problem with that is that it sets you up for a fall. So it was just two guys with some outsourced software. We decided, which I think was the right call, to like basically just any deal that we put through our, the platform we were using, they would take 30%. Um, but we didn't have to have any tech staff or anything, so it was kind of great. Um, I I remember feeling like we were going to be millionaires and that everything was very exciting. Um, and it was an incredibly successful first deal, for sure, by any measures. And I've now run two businesses since, so I can confirm that it was definitely very successful i'd be delighted to replicate that ever again um but we also learned very quickly that once you have a deal like that it's very hard to compare so the next week the numbers were terrible the week after the numbers were okay basically learned that you that that industry was is essentially a full of charlatans and b full of crap products right got kind of budget customers looking for deals expecting expectation and reality is always very different on what you get from those as well and the people it's all just third party shippers selling stuff to customers and it's crap right so we learned that this is kind of a impossible to build a brand because it's just a glorified customer service operation and we got to christmas and we said look we're going to email our database so our database by this point is about two hundred thousand people um and like we're going to email our database and we're going to see if anyone's interested in us staying alive. We're going to say we're shutting down. And if people are upset or uproarious about it, we will do something about that. And we emailed everyone and not a single complaint. 
Um, really? Yeah, so it kind of confirmed what we already knew, which is no yeah. one cares. Yeah. You know, you get a better deal on Welcher over Groupon, you leave Groupon. You get a better deal on Living Social, you'd move that. It just didn't matter where your deal came from. There was no brand to build. And because I'd come from creative advertising where brand is everything, it just became clear to me that it wasn't a business we were interested in. So we're lucky because we'd learned that we work well together. We'd learned that we enjoy working well together. And um, we had cash in the bank. So we were able to say, like, where do we want to invest our next business before actually having to shut something down and having, you know, a negative experience. We sort of had a win behind us. Um, And that was... But at this stage, you were still, up until that Christmas, you're still making money. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, that was, we were 27 at that point. Um, And I think this was like our first taste of success, sort of failure, you know. I mean, as a failure not to be able to build it into something bigger, but I think I count it as a success in terms of being able to call it quits Mm. instead of running it into the ground. Yes. And as you'll probably remember, all these companies got ran into the ground quite soon after that anyway. Absolutely. Google um, refused a five billion pound, sorry, Groupon refused a five billion dollar offer from Google to buy them. And then they just went to shit. Really? Um, Which is terrible. I mean, imagine how painful that is. So that was that. And... We then decided that we had, because we had some money and we felt like we should get some investors because we were basically a bit like we've done this and we've done that. Let's try something new. So we decided very embarrassingly, and I'm always honest about this because it's exactly how it happened and it's cringy, but we're like reading TechCrunch. We're like, what are all these businesses doing these things that they sort of promise they're going to do and they raise loads of money and I don't really understand what any of them do. But it sounds very successful, and I guess like it'd be nice for our egos. Why don't we build a tech company? Um, and neither of us are developers, and neither of us have any idea what we're doing. We're like, okay, my business partner is very good at spotting trends, like you know, just researching. He's from PwC, um, so he researched um, all this stuff and basically learned that social fashion, um, which was kind of like Pinterest, you know, area was going to be a massive thing, the idea that people would do social shopping, recommendation engines, blah, 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 blah. We're like, okay, that sounds absolutely sensible. That's what we're going to build. So we launched this thing called Grabble. Um, it became a, it was a website for a year. We spent many months going to Poland and finding developers and not knowing what we were doing and, and a whole million absurd stories about being completely in the dark about describe what we were Grabble. Doing. Well, at the time, Grabble was a social fashion platform. Right. That doesn't mean anything. I appreciate that. But that's kind of the point. As in, we weren't really sure what Grabble was. We were trying to build this website that did so many different things. We were adding buttons, adding this, adding that. Just not sure. Wasting so much money. Despite it all, we managed to raise about £250,000 in the first year. And... Honestly, blow almost all of that on just awful decisions on web development that just weren't going anywhere. And after a while, we were like, what even is this website? I don't understand what it's doing. Um, and are you massing a customer following a user base at this stage? Nope. It was so painful. We'd gone from, you know, nailing a giant user base of customers that paid money yeah. um, in a week 
to spending a year, we didn't even have a thousand people that had come into our website. We just did not know how to do anything. Well, you were getting profile though, weren't you? Getting some PR. It, well, not yet. Right. So this is the thing. So this isn't our first year, the year that no one talks about, which is always the first year of startup land where actually nothing's happening. So that was basically it. Nothing happened. We were just like making loads of bad decisions and running out of money. And um, we got down to our last couple of weeks and we were like, look, what does this do? We need to do something drastically, radically different. So my business partner, Joel, he basically designed this app on the back of a napkin, which was essentially Tinder for fashion. And, you know, he's like, Tinder's growing really fast. The user experience is amazing. The simplicity is great. We've got an engine for products that we've already built. Let's just apply a different front end, like as in a mobile front end. Um, and, and and launch as an app and see how that goes. So we found some developers in Pakistan um, who were very good and actually developed this for us very, very quickly as a prototype for five grand, which was absolutely wow. nothing. It was, it was a bad prototype, but it was a prototype. It worked. Um, and that's all the money we had left. I then spent like a week learning how to go viral on Twitter, which was a lot easier, you know, five, six years ago when we did it than it is now. But it was a bit of an art and you could learn how to do it and just put the patience and the effort in and you would do it. So I, I like, it's really interesting. You know, we, we, we put all of our eggs in one basket with this thing and we launched a Tinder for fashion and it went viral. And uh, we were the number one trending hashtag on Twitter. We became the number one app in the app store all overnight. Um, and from the next day, we were able to raise money so quickly. We had no money. So we needed to raise it. We raised £750,000 in about a week um, on the promise to build something new. Right. So that was a start of Gravel. Um, and that was a really exciting journey. We spent four years building that company. Um, we got to just over 40 people in Shoreditch. Um, we raised £4 million. Um, at our peak, we had 1 million monthly active users. We basically curated the best of fashion in the UK and put it all in an app in like beautiful personalized feeds for people to shop, to discover and shop from every single day. And also that spoke to a trend of personalization. You were seeing where you could go onto Nike and you could uh, order a bespoke pair of uh, trainers or whatever. So, so we, um, we put a lot of effort into content. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had this uh, ideal customer profile like theory that I, I basically flippantly said once at a conference and it got picked up everywhere, which is that people are always busy or bored. Um, so if you think about the mobile customer, we designed all of our products in, with a busy or bored in mind. I would, um, so in 2014, but in specifically in 2015, I was doing a speaking tool for HSBC called Strategies for Growth. And I was citing and uh, uh, trends, te- technological trends and Grabble was there. I was I was actually advocating and mm. putting it forward by saying this is the intersection of social and and digital in terms of mobile digital and personalization. So yeah. it was it was amazing. We we I mean thank you for that. But it was amazing because we really genuinely captured so much imagination from people. We were shocked. Um and, you know, we worked bloody hard at it, don't get me wrong, and it wasn't all a guess. But you know, we were picked up by everyone. I mean, we were asked to speak on stage at Facebook, at Instagram, at Google. I mean, I did, I did like the Wired, um, Wired retail keynote talk in between Google and Facebook. Um, wow. You know, it was just crazy the kind of credibility that we were given um, for our approach. Yes. Really um, humbling. 
We were in retail week all the time. You know, like all the I was invited to the advisory board of retail week. It was just like amazing and a really interesting journey. The problem was kind of twofold. One, monetization was impossible. So we had a million monthly active users um, like on our on our app buying products. Um, but the commission model and the monetization of actually getting the money from the retailers based on what people were purchasing, so hard. Typical user journey was people would actually discover on Grabble and save things into their desktop. Uh, sorry, save things into their basket, but then go buy it with their current discount codes from their like retailers oh, and right. stuff. Anyway, so we were just basically so you just did the, you just did the, uh, the advertising and the marketing yep. for those fashion retailers for free. Yeah, um, and then getting over that was really really hard. And even for the people that were purchasing through Gravel, you know, like um, the problem that we faced uh, and anyone in this space faces was around delivery. So realistically. Um, if you were to buy something from um, H&M, Zara, um, I mean, I'm being lazy by thinking uh, who I'm thinking about, Nike and uh, let's say Massimo Dutti or someone, you'd have four different brands sending you products um, and therefore four different couriers sending okay. you the products, which... It's fine, but you might and have the bought all of charges them. Well, you might have bought all of them in one basket. So right. your understanding is that it's all coming from Grapple. And even though we made it very clear, we're facilitating a transaction for you like a personalized shopper, but they're all coming from separate places. If one of those guys lost your parcel or it was late or delayed or anything, your which fault. happens a lot, it was our fault. Um, and that was just a really impossible thing to overcome. So we're not spending a fortune on customer service. And anyway... The long, 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 long story short is um, Grabble ended up imploding, sadly. Um, so I ended my 20s um, with a rather humbling experience of um, having reached heights, I suppose, like I'd set for myself, being really chuffed with a lot of the journey, met amazing people, did great things. We won awesome awards. Like we won the pitch at Palace, at Buckingham Palace, you know, all sorts of real, like amazing. I met the Queen. Wow. It was just so cool. The flip side is, like, couldn't make the business work, and it was super, um, I think disappointing is the right word. And the honest truth as well is, you know, you re- we realized whilst we were building it that we kind of fell out of love with that industry. How did you process that? You know, so much of your identity yeah. and a level of uh, status, credibility, and reputation was built around the success or the perceived success of what you were creating. Yeah, you're to- totally right. Um, and I don't really know any other way than to attach my identity to the things that I do. Um, I haven't learned my lesson this time around either. Um, and and I should, but I think there's something very nice about um, about attaching what you do to who you are. And I don't know why I feel that way. It's authenticity, though, isn't it? Yeah, I, and it's passion. Uh, yeah, and I don't sure. really know any other way than to display what I choose to do with my life with a certain degree of passion. So how did you... Obviously, there'll be a period of mourning, really, with that after that implosion. How did you pick yourself up? Did you, were you, did, did you suffer for a while in terms of did you feel really self-loathing, down for a while, thinking, gosh, how did that happen? Yeah, so I... Um, I did spend... I mean, look, I spent a lot of time... Um, processing, apologizing to investors as well. Gosh, yeah. Um, but 
I think one of the hardest things, which is interesting because you sort of picked up on it, is um, when people describe you. Mm. You know, they're like, oh, this is my friend Dan. He's this great entrepreneur that... Ru- oh, wait, no, sorry. And they're kind of like, well, how do you want me to describe you now? And you're like, I don't know, cat lover? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's safer. I'll always be one of those. Um, do you know, it's like, that's, what, that's what's quite interesting when people are trying to use superlatives to explain you. Your confidence can come from how you see yourself, your identity. Mm. And if your identity has just been completely blasted to pieces, yeah. it's like, how do you rebuild? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I who think, do you, and also, who do you rebuild yourself into? Yeah, absolutely. And I did have that. I had this period of like, you know, what what I was and what I become. And, you know, what was interesting is I'd learned before we finished up with Grabble that I actually, I didn't want to be in that industry. So what was an interesting thing is I, like, everyone was referring to me as like a fashion guy. Um, everyone. Um, like fashion tech, if I was lucky. But like, basically... Da- like if there was a, a talk or anything related to fashion, you know, I was being asked to speak at the British Fashion Council, British Retail Consortium, like all these places that are like the industry body type things. And I was just like, I don't want this to be my identity because I don't care about fashion, like anywhere near enough, like at all. Like, you know, I like to dress well. That's kind of the extent of it. I don't keep up with trends and, and uh, you know, it's just not something I find particularly important. So, um, I, in a weird way, was quite excited to be able to leave that identity behind Mm. Um, because I actually felt like my identity was more, this may be true or not, it might just be what I told myself, I felt like my identity was more wrapped up in the idea of being a fashion person, a fashion entrepreneur. Okay. And I was like, whatever, and everyone's like, so what are you going to do next? Like, and, you know, and the amount of people that shared opportunities with me, which was really kind um, but they were all fashion and I was like guys I don't know what I'm going to do next but it's not going to be in fashion like right. I can promise that I just uh, no interest e-commerce I was like very likely I don't want to throw away all my experience but you know fashion no hey Gavin here would you like to achieve your three year goals in 12 months or learn a systematic process to create innovation and disrupt your market like Uber and Airbnb how about eight ways to acquire other businesses for little to no money down. The best tool you can start using today to avoid overwhelm and laser focus your growth team on moving the correct five levers of business growth. The complete exit process and negotiating tactics learned from the trenches in thousands of public and private company deals. I'm delighted to be partnering with the smartest guy I know in growing, scaling, and exiting businesses, Roland Frazier. Roland has personally grown, scaled, and exited over 24 businesses between 1 million and 2 billion in revenue. The combination of Roland's insights and strategies and my own experience in growing and scaling businesses will deliver you a game-changing two-day intensive that will give you the inside track on growing, scaling, and exiting your business. I don't know of anywhere else where this stuff is taught. So join us in London on the 24th and 25th of September on the Legs Intensive, Legs being Leverage, Exit, Grow and Scale. Check us out. Go to bit.ly forward slash legs hyphen Gavin. That's bit.ly forward slash legs, L-E-G-S hyphen Gavin, G-A-V-I-N, all in capitals, and give your business growth and exit legs it requires. See you there. What were your biggest lessons then from that whole uh, journey, part of your journey? Um, my biggest, my biggest lessons were. I mean, one of the, like this is not a um, 
not a on reflection lesson, but it's a lovely lesson that I have learned <laughs> more so than you'd pick up in this podcast, I promise, um, is the to listen. So as you'll notice, I do a lot of talking. I'm like comfortable talking. And in an environment where I'm being asked questions and I understand the nature of like having a guest and wanting the guest to talk because I have a podcast, I understand that vibe. And you're good at listening on your own podcast. Which I've learned. Right. Um, you had to work on that. I had to work on that, actually, yeah. Uh, one of the best things about having a podcast is mm. um, is learning what you're like, um, objectively, without offence. Mm-hmm. You know, it's no one telling you how to be better. I listened to the first series of my podcast and I got a very, very important lesson to shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> Was that just by listening to it afresh yep. rather than any feedback from yep. anybody else? Yeah. On- honestly, um I don't think anyone... I, I, people have told me to shut the fuck up all the time. And that's fine, because it's funny, and I don't get... I don't take feedback personally. I try to... I pride myself on taking feedback well. What I find interesting is that feedback has never landed the same way as me listening back to myself on Series 1 and being like, I can't believe I interrupted him at that moment, or she was just about to say this brilliant thing and I interrupted with something that was just a useless comment. And ever since, that's been like an amazing learning and a great way to learn. So series two and three and four, you know, I ask a question, I'm quiet, like you've been doing. And if you'd have interrupted me the whole time, it'd be difficult to get an honest flow because the more someone talks, the more they're open and, you know. Absolutely. It's really interesting. So, yeah, big lesson I've learned in life is to listen more. Um, To whom? Well, that's a great question. My mum? No, I'm joking. <laughs> I would never listen to my mum. That would be just what she wants. Um, I think, you know, the honest answer to you is to my colleagues. Right. So I had this inverted... Under- well, sorry, I say inverted. This is not correct. There are many different leadership styles. Yes, of course. Simple as. Yeah. Um, and I think I... I I guess at some point decided that I had to be this sort of inspiring, authoritative leader. Authoritative may be the wrong word, but inspiring leader. So Because I'm creative and I have ideas and people listen to those ideas. And I think what comes with the territory with that then is you feel like all eyes are on you and you need to perform and say interesting things. And... What I really hope that I've learned, because I don't have a team at the moment, I have an intern and a business partner, and we're looking to hire our first people now. Um, But I really want to be a servant leader. Um, I think that would suit me a lot better. Absolutely. Especially, I feel like that's a challenge for me. I don't feel like I naturally gravitate towards that because I I speak a lot. Um, But... The one thing I would love to put into practice in my new business is to serve my team. Because why hire people if you're going to tell them? I mean, this is the lesson I learned with my bosses previously, right? Why hire people if you're going to try and suggest to them what you should do? So I think having a big picture of vision and a good semblance of strategy and then enabling people to fill in the dots in between and you just being there to help them do their jobs and move obstacles out their way is a much, much, much better opportunity for me as a leader. And that's um, 
absolutely the, the the mission really of Dawn, isn't it? You know, you obviously talk about servant leadership of the people that you bring into your team, but it's also in terms of your your consumers of your information. So that's a good segue into tell us about Dawn, your latest uh, venture for you and Joel. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um... You know, you, you asked about um, if, you know, how I suffered or if I suffered. Uh, so I, I went through a period of um, insomnia. So I uh, couldn't get to sleep and I couldn't stay asleep. So I would get to sleep eventually by midnight, but it was through smoking a joint and having a glass of whiskey because I just could not fall asleep. Um, and that was a winning combination, it turns out, um, for anyone that thinks they're just having a nice time. It's, like, it's actually very sleepy, unsurprisingly. <laughs> um, so that was how I'd get sleep almost every single night. And I don't smoke either, so it wasn't like, you know, my preferred choice on my lungs. But hey, right. um, it's what worked, and right. I needed to get to sleep. Yeah. But then I'd wake up at 2am every yeah. single night for five months. And that was you awake then? You didn't drop back off at sort of four or five no. in the morning? That was you awake? And that was me awake. So, you know, where I joke is, you know, I used to think I was incredibly productive. So there was a, part, a period of time when, when I was like, maybe I'm just like Elon Musk. I don't need to sleep I'm a rock star. And, I, can yeah. do, I, can, I, I can function a, exactly. 100% on two hours exactly, sleep. Because I was wide awake at 2am, by the way, like right. wide awake. So I would genuinely go Did you feel in. rested? I felt okay. Okay. Um, but this is the thing, I felt okay. By the time we started to work at 10, by the time I would start work, I'd done a whole day's work. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, by the time it was three, I was a zombie. I bet. And then you were like pumped on caffeine or Red Bull or something Exactly. Like and I was a zombie until like 7 or 8 p.m. And then suddenly I'd get this whole burst of energy again when I need to start winding down. Just the whole circadian rhythm was just yeah, off. Yeah. yeah. So but that was five months. It was a long time. And the way I got over that was, and I tried everything. Um, I mean, I say everything, you know, I've tried baths, no technology before bedtime, meditating every day, changing my diet. Um, I, you know, I mean, just I, I, like thinking of all the things, like all the things uh, that I could possibly think of. But the one that was interesting about changing my diet was more about things like, you know, don't have caffeine after X time, blah, 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 blah. What someone did was they bought me this book called Optimum Nutrition for the Mind. And they were like, just read it. It had a really big impact on my life. She was suffering with depression. Um, and she read this book and changed her diet and her depression went away. And I was like, wow, that's a great wow. advocate for a book. I will do that. And I read it. And, you know, it's not a groundbreaking book, but it's very good. Um, it's certainly like my Bible in terms of like having an impact on me. Um, main recommendation, eat a lot more oily fish, a lot more eggs. Um and basically, and, and, you know, certain vegetables, but really um, supplement really good quality sources of DHA enriched omega-3, B vitamins, eat loads of blueberries. Like, it was pretty obvious stuff for me now. By the time I was like, wow, this is new. Fair enough. I'm willing to try anything. I'm a bit sceptical this will work, but why not? And I did. And it did work because within two weeks, I was sleeping until 5 a.m., which was quite big for me. Within four Absolutely. weeks, I was sleeping till 7 a.m. And, you know, it's worth pointing out, you know, if this had happened a month in, I'd never be sitting here saying, you know, a book or my diet was the thing that made an impact. I just stopped not sleeping. But after five months, it becomes your lifestyle yeah, and you think yeah. you're never going to sleep again. So for me, this was a hugely impactful thing. So I became like really fascinated by this idea of brain nutrition and the idea that, you know, all the things that people like myself, you know, who are um, essentially... Um, growth mindset people, people who look to achieve more in their lives and try to drive 
more um, purpose and potential out of every waking hour, essentially. You know, what kind of stuff do we consume? What, do, How do we behave and what do we do? And of course, someone who's as creative as you, that's 100 new ideas every hour, at least. Well, you'd hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure that's in practice, but, you know, we yeah. can definitely pretend it is. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I was just really blown away by the impact of the book and the way that it had helped me. And this idea that um, you can eat for your brain first, like that was a super unique insight to me that I was like, why don't I know that? I because that I already yeah. can eat for your brain first. Yeah, like prioritizing your brain. And so I was wow. just like, why Why is that not? Because, you know, I looked at all the diets, you know, intermittent fasting, keto, Atkins, like, you name them. Yeah, yeah. There's a drawback on every single one of them veganism there's a drawback they're not good for everyone but there is literally no logical you know negative that i can possibly conceive of that prioritizing your brain and your diet would not be a sensible move um that's sort of what struck me i was like why don't people talk like this why did that why did i only find that out by talking about my mental health issues with a friend and her having a book by chance um, why isn't that like an obvious thing that you could affect your mental health by affecting your brain's health? It's so logical once you've said it that, you know, you can help alleviate symptoms. Your mind is part of your brain. Your brain is an organ. It's made of 60% fat. Most of that is DHA, which is this compound which comes from the oil. So once you sort of understand those things, it doesn't, it starts to all make lots more sense. You know, you've got you know, a hundred billion um, like synapses creating a hundred trillion connections in your mind. It makes loads of sense that if you nourish it properly, those things are all going to start firing on all cylinders even more. And if that starts happening, you can start sleeping again. So that was kind of this, what I call a brain harpoon, where I was just like obsessed at that point about this idea. So I started researching, um, I guess the other thing was, you know, I, I, I'd come across lots of sort of gurus, you know, self-professional, self-help people that are very good at doing lots of social media, mm -hmm. um, but not necessarily a huge amount of efficacy in everything that they're saying. And I was really fascinated by this idea of um, science. What does the science actually say? Because, you know, science is actually quite boring, which is why people don't really bother reading it. So I was like, why don't we read the science like of all this stuff with Joel, um, like PubMed, the things that scientists and doctors actually read, and then turn that into something engaging. And we don't know what we're going to make, but it doesn't really matter because I know I want it to be in the brain health space and, and around brain performance for something that Joel was really interested in. So we're like, well, we know it's going to be in this space, so why don't we just start writing a newsletter? So that's what we started doing. That's 41 weeks ago now. Um, I know because I've written week 42 already. Um, and every week we share... Uh, science-backed tips for your brain. They're all positive things you can put into action this week with a recipe, including the brain food and why it's good for you, just to help people understand oh, and have it. a and, better uh, brain. Excuse the pun, but it is very digestible. You it know, is. It, so, and um, that's your word of efficacy to know and see the links back to the medical publications yeah. and the research and yeah. the science. Actually, means you you presented it in a way that's easy to assimilate and more importantly implement in your life. Exactly. And that's the thing. This is stuff is not my opinion. It's science. And Great. I've written it. Powerful. I've written it in a way that I think is interesting, or as I say, science in English. Yes. Um, but, you know, we always have this link that you've just attributed, you know, just um, acknowledge, which is for the nerdy. Yes. It's like, you know, if you, if you want 
click that link, you can read the science. Um, but I, you know, I find it really fascinating because people don't, when we look at the world we're living in at the moment, you know, science is hugely undervalued. <laughs> And rhetoric and opinion seems to be the prevailing currency. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a whole uh, different conversation. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I'm possibly doing this in the wrong time. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, or, you know, it's a, it's a refreshing counter position where you've got some substance, you've got the science, and people we heave aside belief. And it comes back to, you know, some of the things that you evidently value about authenticity. Mm. Uh, and and you're applying your creativity to be drawing the links between the science and what can I give people to help them right now? Exactly. Yeah, powerful. So, where's where, where's your vision for Dawn? You know, um, in terms of uh, the, the the several. Do you want to explain kind of the pillars? You yeah. know, to, to the listeners who've not come across try. Uh, it's sorry, trydawn.co. Yeah. So the URL is trydawn.co, but we are rebranding um, to be called Heights, as in your heights. Um, okay. Because and it's interesting. We've always been doing that, and when I started Dawn. And we were like, let's just get a name up because we knew we were going to build a brand. We know I want it. I know I want it to be something I'm doing for a long time. And to do that, you need trademarks, and trademarks take time. So I knew we weren't going to get trademarks on Dawn. I was very surprised to find that we could get trademarks on Heights, which we have done, spelt normally, amazingly. So um, our new URL from September will be yourheights.com. Great. Um, and the idea for building Heights is ultimately, um, you know, we want to help people reach their potential. Um, a lot of the way that people limit reaching their potential is with self-limiting beliefs. A lot of that comes with mindset and what they tell themselves, which is why I think it's so important to have a good regular content stream for people around understanding the science behind how their brain's working, very simply. Um and but our dream and our vision is to build a holistic brand for the brain. So where we're creating the highest quality nutritional supplements that enable people on a daily basis to have guaranteed good baseline brain health. We always advocate and will continue to advocate. Get it from your main food. Do not buy our product. But in my opinion, the number one best thing you can do is cook the food that we recommend every single week and on our website in every single article um, with recipes that you can literally click to add the ingredients to your shop um, to make it as easy as possible. You can do all of that stuff. Um, but the second best option is definitely to take super high quality supplements so you're not not getting them. So being malnourished of those ingredients, as I've learned, is not a good alternative. So either eat them and make sure you're purposeful about eating them or find an alternative high quality supplementation option and that's what our first product is which is a multivitamin for the brain so right. we've basically is that, is that on the market now it's not yet it's coming out um we're launching publicly january 2020 and then we're only going to be selling it through our newsletter subscribers until then um right. so no public marketing no social media no nothing until january 2020 but just just for our own customers um, and that's been in product development for a year we've got a chief science officer who's fantastic she's a neuroscientist medical doctor of psychiatry and she has a phd in neurological pharmacology which is basically brain nutrition wow so she's been amazing she's actually the one who's formulated our product brilliant um and our idea was just to like reimagine the multivitamin with a brain first approach right so so you uh, will you go to extent of trials or even clinical trials uh, so we've done trials over the last year for the product 
You don't need to do clinical trials in this because everything we're using is branded ingredients with scientific efficacy. Okay. So the main ingredients in the product are, um, it's, it's a vegan product on the basis of vegans actually have much, m- many more natural problems with brain health on the basis of um, a lot of the stuff comes from fish or meat. Okay. The B vitamins and omega-3, the high quality sources come from fish and meat. Yeah. So... The good news about vegans is they usually are well-educated on supplementation, so they will already take good quality, so they're not actually suffering from bad brain health, but it's very hard to take no supplements, be vegan, and mm-hmm. unless you're eating a kilo of linseed or something, which I don't think they tend to do. Um, so um, the uh, the products itself, so we've got um, a very high-quality DHA-enriched algae oil, which okay. is the omega-3. Yeah. That's the brain builder. Um, we have um, your daily dose of B vitamins, including B12, which is specifically what vegans and vegetarians struggle to absorb. Um, and uh, the equivalent of 25 blueberries in every single... So a blueberry extract. Yes. So the equivalent of that in every single um, daily dose. So the idea is each of these ingredients that we have have their own list of scientific trials. So because we're not creating our own chemical compound, all we're really doing is saying that these are the number one, two, and three most important supplements. So our job should be to source the highest quality of them, put in the right amount, put them together in a product, and package it up into something that's super simple and beautiful and actually looks good, tastes good, and does good. So the launch product that we've got is £30 a month through the letterbox. Right. I was going to ask you, it would be a subscription model. Subscription model. Yeah. We've reinvented the packaging um, because you can't fit. So it's two pills a day. Okay. Um, well, in morning just, and evening. You can have them both in the morning okay. together. Um, but the reason, and because of the way that we've made two the pill, different pills. No, no. I mean, it's two of the same. Okay. Because we're trying, we literally couldn't fit what we want to in one pill. Okay. Because we're going for the full transparency. This is what you actually need. Yeah. It would have been very easy to just do 30 pills and tell you it's everything you need, but that's what other supplement companies do. They basically cheat, and because you, you can do that in supplements, you can have an asterisk and say, if you have this much, we don't want to do that. We want to say, we want to give people the amount that they need. So we couldn't fit it in one pill. So would this, if they're already taking a multivitamin, for example, this replace, will replace? Okay. Yeah. Um, and the reality is um, these two pills a day, you can have them first thing. A lot of pills you can't have without food. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have these without food because they're they're in a duo cap, which basically means they um, uh, they absorb at different times in the body. So even the pill format has been rethought, which is really interesting. So if the outer layer of the pill is the oil, and inside it is injected the multivitamin, which is sort of floating inside it, oh, which really? in itself is like a new yeah, yeah. a new approach. So it's very visual, and then with the packaging, even that you can't fit sixty pills into a bottle and fit it through the letterbox. So even the packaging we had to reinvent completely. So we've, um, from the ground up, literally said, how would you reinvent the multivitamin? And that comes to the look, the feel, the taste, peppermint. Um, really? Interesting. Because pills taste like shit. Yeah, Why should yeah. they? It yeah. doesn't make any sense. Um, the bottle, which is flat and beautiful and stands on its side, um, comes in completely environmentally recyclable packaging. Um, because we're registered to be a B Corporation, which is uh, essentially an environmental gold okay. standard. Um, so every single level. And then the next thing we've said is, you know, well, what's the other problem? Well, most people forget to take their pills. So one of the things we're doing using our technology background is 
um, when you sign up from day one, you can download a personalized calendar for every single customer. It goes into your calendar and will give you a reminder at the time you choose before you leave work, ideally, to remind you every day. Just a simple calendar invite from us um, with a lovely little quote or motivational Great. affirmation just to remind you to take your product. Mm-hmm. Because looking after yourself is actually surprisingly difficult. People forget. Right. Um, so we're you know all about thinking... You know, how do we create an experience that's so much more than just taking a product? It's about reaching your heights. So the thing I'm currently doing and spending my time on is um, actually designing an email, um, like personalized email plans for customers that want to learn a bit more about certain things. So as an example, um, you know, the other week we sent uh, an email about decision making and the science behind decision making, which was so popular. So many people responded about how they're putting it into practice. I was like, that's interesting. Maybe I could turn that into like a personalized like four week course for people. If you want to learn more about decision making and then have some great examples and exercises of things you can do and examples of great people putting them into action, that would be one stream. So, so once again, you're finding a new revenue stream as well. You're monetizing your your knowledge. Well, actually, no. On that, we have a bit of a, I mean, I'm not sure our investors agree, but um, we want to do that stuff for free for customers because we want to be so uniquely different to any other any other product out there that we're positioning our subscription as a membership. Mm-hmm. And as a member, you get the product and you get all of the added value that we're looking to help you along your journey because our, our goal is to help you reach your heights. We don't have to monetize every angle of that. If you are a happy customer, you won't leave. Long term, yeah, long, lifetime customer value. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's a much more important metric for us. Great. Um, so... You're going to be relatively new, if not the first to the market, with a brain-led supplement. Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts around some of the big supplement manufacturers out there with massive ad budgets, um, what their response might be to your entry into the market? So I think the, our point of differentiation is actually going to be our, we, we call it direct-to-community, D2C. Um, it's traditionally called direct-to-customer. Um the reason why we think that's so important, all the big manufacturers um, are set up, all their supply chains are set up to sell through retail and third party. Yes. So you don't get the data. So I don't know who Gavin is. I don't know what his email address is. And I don't know what he's trying to achieve. So our whole plan is to help Gavin achieve what he's looking to achieve by taking him past the purchase and communicating with him in a way that's helpful to him on a regular basis. And that whole theme of personalization that's been as a thread through the the products and the businesses mm. you've been involved with. Yeah, and I think personalization can take many interesting forms. Like a yeah. lot of people say they want personalization in their actual products. And I don't think, I genuinely don't believe we're quite there yet. I think the technology will move along and I think that's exactly where we will end up going into. But actually you can make such, such great strides by personalizing content for people mm-hmm. and making it feel like it's actually really valuable to them. Ultimately, and this is being really honest, I don't believe that tweaking your brain multivitamin for my brain multivitamin necessarily would have quite the same impact as helping you reach your goals. Great. Yeah. Like, this is the interesting thing when you come onto the brain. It's like, what are you actually measuring? You're usually measuring whether you feel like you're making uh, better choices in your life and actually improving things. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can attribute that feeling to a brand and our brand is actually helping you take space and think about reaching your heights... We've done a great job. And you can't do that if you are a big supplement manufacturer because it's just not your business model. Yeah. Um, so that's what I think is our point of differentiation. Yeah. 
very powerful and then the, the heart of its community yeah, exactly personalizing and helping people and so the app the aptness of your new brand your heights so the, the you know the Steve Jobs uh, famous infamous quote you know about it's only when you look backwards you can join the dots. It's so evident to me about your ad experience, your access or being seeing the power of a community around the student markets, personalization with Grabble. It, all of these things are elements of that in terms of what you're bringing to your community directly to your community through through your heights. I hope so. Fantastic. Um, so I've heard related to supplements, and I, I may get the pronunciation slightly wrong, but an area of supplements calls it nootropics. Yep. Would is your supplement in that? Is that a category that your supplement would be considered as a part of? So we sort of hope not, on the basis of I think nootropics are really interesting, and I'm I've taken many, um, and so I'm very interested in them on a personal level. The reality as far as I can see it from nootropics, is that um, the chemical ones that seem to have the most efficacy are illegal anywhere but America, um, oh, really? unsurprisingly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a really good example. So a nootropic is essentially a mind-altering compound, a brain-altering compound in some respect. Okay. Um, so there are ones that are known as illegal drugs anyway that are having incredible efficacy at the moment in terms of like treating depression, like LSD, ketamine, and MDMA. Right. However... And that's obviously going through the FDA and clinical tests and trials. That's away from like recreational use, obviously. Yeah. Um, CBD oil is having an example. Yeah, CBD oil is a really good example. And so is, um, you know, Adderall and Modafinil, which are basically used for kids with ADHD, but they're basically amphetamines. Right. But they work, but they're amphetamines. And so yeah. they're not good for you. They're actually no. bad for you, but they are prescribed in the American drug system, left, right, and center, especially to kids, which is incredibly tragic, but just ha is how it is. Yeah. Um, now, the other ones, which are mostly herbal and are safe, like they have sort of less clear efficacy in general. And so I believe a lot of the efficacy if you will about it is almost like you know you want it to work and so it works and so you'll get a really strong placebo effect which by the way the placebo effect has huge amount of data about being effic like efficable yes it's absolutely. just it's, it's, it's fantastic yeah. and so there's nothing wrong with that i just i don't feel like um well two things one i don't feel like it's our place at the moment to start with nootropics on the basis of um we come from a different starting point with our mission Secondly, um, a really great nutritionist, um, actually the author of that book, Optimum Nutrition for the Mind, he said to me, um, so obviously I reached out to him and told him what an impact it had, blah, 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 blah. He um, made a really great point, which is like, you know, nootropics are very akin, if you liken it to the gym industry, if you were to go to the gym and you decide you want to work out and get bigger, um, it's like going into the gym on day one and piling on loads of creatine. He's like, you just don't do that. Right. You learn, you read. You exercise, you stretch, you eat more protein naturally, then you take protein powders and then you start bulking up like slowly but surely over time and then you get into amino acids and creatine and the other bits and pieces and, you know, eventually you might take steroids. But that's kind of like the journey with nootropics. He was like, you know, if you want to actually optimize your brain, like level one is understand what's going on with your brain. Level two is give it the water it needs, like, to, you know, hydrate. Number three or actually probably combined with number two, give it the nutrients it needs. Like, mm -hmm. this is the foods that we eat, the supplements that are already available in the market with years of scientific efficacy behind them. That's the equivalent of eating more protein and maybe having protein powder. 
Nootropics is like the creatine level where if you pile all that in, how can you expect it to work? And it's like, well, he, you know, he said it better than I ever could. You know, it makes lots of sense when you compare it to the gym industry. Fantastic. It's a very powerful analogy or a mm. very powerful comparison. So you're going to be launching it to your subscriber base initially until until January. Correct. And then what's the plan in terms of getting it out to the market uh, out and growing your community from January? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's a good question. What I really want is not to be thought of as a supplement company, which is difficult when your product, your first product is a supplement. So my plan is actually to try and campaign around the idea of brain health and being brain first. Um, because I think that's really ultimately the crux of what we're looking to, you know, to summarize in terms of everything, yes. you know. And so I believe in... Um, sharing the motivations and ideas behind um, like a campaign, a manifesto, a point of view, far more than I do talking about the product. So that's essentially what I'm trying to strategize. You know, how do I, how do I encourage people to think brain first? And frankly, if people end up changing their diets and eating more with their brain in mind and they don't even need to buy our supplements, we've still done a great job. Yeah, like that's an impactful mission. thing to do. I just happen to know as someone who writes this stuff and is busy all the time, I don't have the time to cook all that stuff. But, you know, fortunately, a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that they do. Because there's a lot of people out there that are cooking, you know, every single day, but they're not cooking, consciously thinking about what they're putting into their body. Most of us just think about what we eat from an aesthetic point of view. But also, as you said, you supplement being a vegan supplement, it will help to replace what they can't normally get through their normal. Oh, certainly, yeah. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, I'm, um, you know, obviously passionate about what we're building, but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say to someone who has a, you know, like a regular normal diet, like, you know, you have to take our supplements. That's not, not true. You can take any of like those supplements. It's just equivalent. Having done it ourselves, it costs about £90 to get a high quality and ours is 30 so that's why. Another reason why going direct to consumer is great. You have no retail markup. Um, exactly, yeah. But the... Reality is to anyone plant-based, I would say that you won't find a better product in the market for your needs, 100%. I mean, it's just so hard to get what they need, whereas you might well be eating enough meat and fish, potentially, mm -hmm. um, to be getting a lot of what you need. The, the, the problem on the counter-argument is that, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't eat meat, for example, um, so I need to supplement B12 regardless. Yes. Um, and I'm pescatarian now, but only because of what I've learned on my journey. Um, so, you know, you meet enough people, you get all these different diets and stuff, but like the reality is, um, having the base level of nutrition and micronutrients for your brain is an absolute priority in your life if you want to achieve anything. And it's perfectly common sense, in my opinion, and responsible to be sharing that message. Sure. So what sort of, uh, Im impact or effects would somebody taking uh, your product Start to feel would it be increased focus? Would it be more energy levels, less f brain fog, fuzziness? What, what would yeah, it be? so it's over a period of time, and this is the interesting thing about supplements. You know, it's after a month or two. It's just mostly in the things that you've just suggested. It's really um, around brain fog and energy. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I always hesitate to claim such things because you know I take. Um, vitamin C and um, and magnesium every day and I still feel tired sometimes, but like I'm markedly better having taken them. 
Absolutely. Um, yep. But you know, I don't blame my vitamin C supplement if I get <laughs> if I get ill sometime this year, right. which I'm sure I will. Yeah, yeah. I won't be like waste that of time. That work, was. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's hard. It's like you know, with all these things, you're just trying to make sure you're optimizing the best you could possibly be. Yep. That doesn't mean you need to be Superman. Quite. So um, ultimately, what's the vision? What's the big, hairy, audacious goal that you've got for your heights? Um, that's a great question. Um, so our mission, and a mission is something, as I'm always corrected by a friend of mine, a mission is something that needs to be achieved. Um, so our mission is to elevate our tribe to achieve one million meaningful goals. So we've very specifically from day one attributed our mission to something with a number, a metric, and around people accomplishing things. So we're only going to find out if they actually let us know. Um, so that is actually absolutely that. And then I, our vision is a world where anyone is able to elevate their human potential. So I would love heights to be part of people's everyday journey and a trigger point. You know, the positioning that we've put inside our package is, uh, you know, your first brilliant idea of the day. I hope that there's many more for people every single day. That's so powerful. Um, but like the idea for us is, you know, we want people to start the day off right and take the space to think about what they're doing on a daily basis. And, you know, uh, you know, compound improvements are essentially the things that are going to make change for people. And I'd love for us to be part of that journey for them. Your, your authenticity, your passion just really shine through backed by the science. It's a, it's a, it's a very attractive combination. Well, thank you very much. I hope that you will be one of our lovely customers and joining the tribe. I certainly will be. I look forward to the release and, uh, and no doubt we'll be signing up through before the before the January release. Um, so something that's a little bit lighthearted. Mm. Uh, it's, the, it's the summer holidays at the moment, the time recording, and uh, my mini-me, my eldest uh, son who's six years old, have suddenly got really intrigued in this world of podcasting. So some of my friends call me Gavilar, you know, from the old Gavin and Stacey reference. So oh, yeah. this is a little little mini sort of Gavilar. And he's got, I've got sort of three questions for you. Uh, I shall play. What should I do to be a really successful young entrepreneur? You, good name. I know you didn't pick it yourself, Hugh, but it's a good <laughs> name. Um, what should you do to be really successful? As a young entrepreneur. As a young entrepreneur. Ask questions, listen to the answer, and always, 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 always um, pay it forward. Do something for someone else before you ask for anything for yourself. This is the number one. It's not a lesson that I've learned because I've actually always behaved that way. Um, I'd say it's the most categorically, authentically true thing about me. Um, and I don't think there's anyone... I know that doesn't wouldn't describe me as someone who does that. Um, I'm always going out of my way for other people. Um, don't want anything in return. But the natural reality of believing in karma is it will always come back positively. So always, always uh, pay it forward. My daddy is sort of clever, but 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 I want to be even more clever. So what should I have every day for breakfast? Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, this changes with age. Okay. Um, uh, only because it's uh, yeah, actually as a kid you have to have so much nutrition mm -hmm. so much specific nutrition whereas for example as an adult now I do intermittent fasting where I just I don't eat breakfast I have coffee but I don't eat breakfast I have no calories in the morning okay. up until around one o'clock and that's generally good for my brain and it's good for longevity um, but you that's not something that kids should do so the honest answer to you is blueberries. 
Okay. Um, and fiber. Brilliant. And this is something that's uniquely uh, from the mind of a six-year-old, and possibly only uniquely. Um, I only having two boys, so not not knowing knowing the difference between the mind of a six-year-old boy and girl. I suspect this is from the the mind of a six-year-old boy. Shh. Secret question: Does all that healthy food make you do big trumps? No. You know what? Being completely honest, I um I I don't fart in general, but I do burp a lot, which is oh really? Um, yeah, and my wife hates it and i always point out to her like everyone's human it probably comes out one way or another i mean <laughs> yeah, i swear <laughs> this is the better way like i swear it is but i mean yeah so uh in in honest answer um yes but not trumps so to speak i would say burp, burp. <laughs> dan i thoroughly enjoy spending time with you i am motivated inspired by your journey so if people want to find out more about you to get on their sort of advanced community the waiting list how do they how do they do that yeah so you can follow me on social media at dan murray serta all one word and uh, you can uh, follow the heights journey um, at the moment, that's www.trydawn.co, but from September, that will be yourheights.com, and on Instagram, that will also be uh, yourheights. And you also have a very successful podcast. Thank you for mentioning that. I'm proud of it. Um, so I have a podcast called Secret Leaders, uh, where I interview the founders of um, some of the most impressive businesses um, in the UK and abroad. So our next series, which comes out in November, we've got the founders of Slack, of Deliveroo, uh, Grenade, Huel, like very interesting companies. And we previously had um, founders of Calm, Just Eat, Joe Malone, uh, just amazing people who I admire and learn a lot from. Um, so if I had to pick an episode um, that's very popular, two very popular episodes are Joe Malone and also um, the founder of Just Eat. They seem to be really popular with people. Dan, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you, Kevin. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success and create more impact. <laughs>